Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast, featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. Before I even, I want to make sure that I pronounce Sawtell. Is that yep, correct? It's just like... It's just like saw S A W and then tell. I'm telling someone okay. about it. Um, Ellis Island took the French out of it. You know, my uh, great great grandfather uh, migrated here, and it was D Sautelle or something. I don't know, but yeah. uh, Ellis Island said, "Nope, you're Sautelle now." So where I work, and I should, where I did work as a firefighter, yeah. but where I live and Ooh. and uh, grew up, it's not too far from Ellis Island. Wow, yeah, yeah, we're very close. Now, we were just talking a moment ago about when firefighters talk about or tell stories about fires you want to know more about what was going on in their mind and and we're live right now so i just want to expand on that thought and we're going to get right into who you are and your story but when i'd written the book common valor my original thought was um i want to tell these stories that we know about as firefighters but nobody else knows about and maybe they were heroic stories maybe they were tragic stories but so i would interview firefighters and that's what appealed to me when I started hearing about their doubts, mm-hmm. their fears, their mm-hmm. anxiety that they dealt with leading up to that incident of, wait, if I'm ever in this situation, do I really have what it takes? Right. And I right. loved how transparent they were with me because on the surface, firefighters are strong, firefighters are in control, firefighters are tough. But sometimes I like to compare that to, well, uh, on a surface, comedians are very funny, but sometimes they're struggling inside. Mm -hmm. And firefighters are strong and tough, but sometimes they're struggling inside. I've just read your book, The Rescuer. One day, Jason, you need to notice, it takes me 20 days to read a book. Right. I don't read fast. I read your book in one day, and it's great. Um it's one firefighter story of courage, darkness, and a relentless love that saved him. And I want to start by introducing you to our viewers, thanking you for coming on board, and ask if you could share a little bit about just your story from from the ground up, growing up, what it was like, and, and then we'll just get into it. Yeah, not a problem, man. I super appreciate you having me on too, man. It's just such a blessing to be here and having these conversations with you, uh, both on the podcast and the ones we get to have off this site on the phones, man. So super appreciate you on all levels there, Chief. Anyways, um, so my past and growing up was tough. Like, I think a lot of firefighters sometimes gravitate to the job, hoping to kind of fill the void that maybe they had of feeling like lost and hopeless and maybe growing up in a bad situation. And that's just one camp. I know there's a lot that maybe their parents were firefighters and they just was in the blood and they wanted to go on. But for me, I got into the fire service because as a child, my mom left our house when I was about seven, eight years old and I was left with my dad and my dad was a Vietnam vet who just didn't know how to be a parent. And he made me the lowest of his priorities. So life was tough. And when I saw the fire department and the fire service as a whole, I went, how cool is that to be able to help people when they're at their worst? But I'll be honest with you, it was almost like one of the 
bad reasons for joining because I actually kind of joined the fire department hoping it would fix me, mm -hmm. which it really didn't, you know? And so that's how I got in. The cool story about how it happened of more of a tangible sort of way was when I was really getting in a lot of trouble, a group of firefighters stopped and looked at me and they said, Hey, have you ever thought about being a firefighter? I was like, I really, I really haven't. I mean, what do you guys do? Just squirt water on fire is a big deal, you know, being a young teenager and stuff. And they explained the job to me. And I'm telling you, Frank, it just it caught hold of me, man. It just made me want to know more about it. So the younger years, I could spend all day there. And I think my story parallels a lot of stories of others, you know, just growing up uh, feeling unloved and then getting in the fire service and finding family. And then that was a big draw to it. It was being part of a family, being part of something bigger than myself that served something greater than me. Well, that's great. I love how you said that because we often say firefighters have two families and you have the one at home, which honestly should be your priority, but you have the one right. at work and that needs to be a priority too. I was just with members of the Patterson Fire Department for the past two days and I said to them at the beginning of this class I was teaching is what I want more than anything else when I leave here is I, I want you to have a good life mm -hmm. and you're going to spend one quarter of your life for the next or for these 25 or 30 years wearing that mm -hmm. uniform, sitting next to that person you're sitting next mm -hmm. to right now. That's your family. And we need to get it right. And I like that. I like that you started with that. Now these guys, they said, you said you were kind of get, getting in trouble, just yeah. doing wrong things with the wrong people type of trouble. Yeah, you know, when when I break it down like this, and I actually speak into young men's lives now and people saying when you don't have love with inside your home, true love, you often go chase it. And most of us chase it on the street. So I was chasing it with being a skater. And, you know, growing up in Southern California, I never took on the ideologies of the group I was with. But being in the skating crowd, being a young white guy, the skinheads kind of took me in. Now, again, I want to be so clear. I never took on their ideology. But they were asking me or wanting me to be part of them and showing me something like a love that I thought was love and it wasn't. So I was messing up with them and get causing a lot of problems. And one day I actually just stood up to him and I said, you guys are a pack of idiots to say that in the G-rated mm -hmm. version and walked away from them. And that's when I joined this thing called the California Conservation Corps and started, you know, trying to figure out how to change my life and turn things around. But what stuck in my head was the day that, you know, that group of firefighters just kind of hit me up and said, Jason, have you ever thought about being a firefighter? Because you have, you know, the physical abilities as a skater. I was standing up to people and they knew about that. And there's just a lot of good things that happened there. And that's what drew me to the fire service. And then what drew me out of being a wildland firefighter, which I first started is kind of a funny story. I'm out here in California. It was in 93 and the Santa Ana winds are blowing and we were hitting all these fires, which is like craziest thing ever. And one night I'm sitting on the rig the and, you know, fire. yeah, Malibu fires, all of that stuff was burning. Yeah, I was down there for that. And, it, and I sit there with my captain who was a CDF captain, which is now Cal fire, but we were CDF back then. He looks over, he's like, you know what, kid? And I'm 18 years old at the time. He's like, do you know what those LA city guys are making? They're making like $50,000 a year. And I'm like, what, dude, I'm making $4.25 an hour and I don't even get paid after midnight, dude. This I'm going to go be a city fire. So it's a joke with them that I'm like, I'm going to go chase the big bucks, you know? And so, but honestly, I always wanted to be 
in an area where we fought fire. And I just was drawn more to the structural side. And when I got hired with the Oakland Fire Department, which is where I did the majority of my career, that's where I found it. And I actually uh, loved that side of it too. So there's the wildland part still inside of me because being out here in California, you could work at any big city and you're going to go to a wildland fire eventually. But structural firefighting and being in the inner city is an area I really like to work. Yeah. And when you're talking about fire departments, Oakland Fire Department is a busy fire department. Mm -hmm. EMS fires, you know, it's it's the real deal. You could be a firefighter and see three fires your whole career in some places in this country. You could see yeah. three in a day sometimes in Oakland. Right. So, we, uh, but I'm sorry, go ahead. No, as I was gonna say, we had that it was funny when I was a new kid in the OFD. Dude, we hit three fires on a couple of my first shifts and I'm dead. And, you know, we didn't have extra sets of turnout. We had one coat. We didn't have turnout pants. So you just wore your wool pants and your station boots into fire. And I remember being on the back of the truck just shivering, going to fires because it was so full of my own sweat. It's four in the morning. You know, it's not East Coast cold, but, you know, cold's cold when it's 45, 50 degrees and you're you're in an open tiller bucket going to fire. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is the greatest job ever. I absolutely loved it. You know, even when it hurt. Now, I'll be honest with you. After going to a bunch of fires later in my career, I knew they were coming. So I'd look at the new guys and like, yeah, I'm actually cool if we don't catch a fire tonight. You guys okay with that? Like, oh, shut up. We want a fire. So it's kind of fun to see that progression in the growth, you know, in in young men and women. For sure. And and that is the natural progression. In your book, uh, chapter one, uh, you you go right into it with this story about the Bay Bridge and a jumper. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. You know, so I was dual trained also as a paramedic because it's just all the fire departments out here were going to that. And I knew that would get me a foot in the door. So, you know, went to paramedic school and gave me an extra percentage. But that aside, we were responding to the Bay Bridge for jumper. And most people think of the Golden Gate Bridge, which is on the other side of San Francisco. Well, the Bay Bridge connects Oakland to San Francisco. And we get quite a few jumpers there, too. Um, and we responded to that. I thought it was just going to be your can of corn. Hey, bro, let's hop back over here. Let's talk about it. Let the CHP negotiators get there. And then we just stand by if there's an emergency that happens or we need to repel and go get him. And I thought this guy was the same. But it come to find out. He just was in a bad spot in his life. And I could see something different in his eyes. But what kind of freaked me out was the emptiness that was in him and in his eyes was the same emptiness in me. And this guy actually said, sorry, looked at me and just took the eternal plunge in front of me. And watching someone's life being taken in front of you, it it really caught me off guard. Because I've been to tons of suicides, tons of fatality, whatever, shootings, car wrecks, fires. And I've never watched anyone actually die in front of me. But what freaked me out more than anything, Frank, was what I saw taking him down was the darkness that I felt inside of me that I was trying to fill with being a firefighter and it wasn't working. It took him down. I felt like it was going to take me down, too. So it was a really rough and a turning point in my life of like, all right, my childhood, which absolutely sucked, my adulthood, which I'm kind of faking that I'm happy all the time when I wasn't because I was miserable. It all just came to a headway at that moment. And I felt like I was going to become that guy, honestly. That's powerful. Did you talk to anybody up to this point in your life and say, hey, this is what's going on? Or was it just something that was strictly internal? No, I was honestly, I was a complete liar with my crew, with myself, even in the academy as a liar. In the academy, I didn't fit in as much because everyone seemed happy. They all seemed like they had it together. I felt like a fish inside of a, you know, the, the tank looking out. I wanted to experience the same happiness. I was part of the brotherhood and the sisterhood, 
but there was just like, I couldn't completely attach myself to it because the emptiness of me. And so people ask me, Hey, what was it like? Did you play sports as a kid? Oh yeah. I played football. I was lying. I didn't play football because I couldn't afford a uniform. And if I asked my dad for a uniform, he'd beat me. I would sit there and say, Oh, what was school? Like school was awesome, man. Great. Well, what was graduation? Like it was great. It wasn't, I didn't graduate high school. So I was a liar because I was too scared to show the people the real me back then and stuff. And, and I never lied about where I was in my life or tell a lie to like get the job or, you know, tell a blatant lie to make something happen. I would just never open up and, you know, firemen, they're inquisitive. And if you just don't answer them, they're going to keep hammering you. So I just came, I was fine. I played football. I graduated. Well, no, I didn't. So I never opened up to anyone at that point. And I stayed closed even during that point. Plus in the fire service during that time, late nineties, early two thousands, bro, you didn't talk about your feelings. You know, you didn't, if a guy's no. going through a divorce, you'd kind of like, Oh, sorry about that type of stuff. But you didn't open up about your traumas. You just, it wasn't part of the gig. I'll be honest with you. It just, it, it wasn't a cool thing to do. I get it. I think that's one of the things that I like seeing happening just in the world in general, but in the fire service or people are, it's okay to say, I'm normal no matter what I'm going through. It's normal. Um, yeah. It took me a while to uh, come clean with telling people some of the things I went through growing up. For me, I was a guy that I was – I dealt with anxiety and stress. I'd wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I'd have panic attacks. I'm 16, 17, 18 years old. I'm having panic. I don't even know what they are, but I'm having a panic attack right. thinking something's wrong with me. And come to realize was – First of all, many people deal with that, but I just wasn't learning how to process or deal with certain things in my life. Mm -hmm. And and on another show, maybe, or maybe even today, we'll go into some of the things that people do in that situation. For me, the main thing is I learned to change the channel. Right. Whatever my mind focuses on, whatever your mind focuses on, you're going to get more of that. I had to stay, say, well, let me stop focusing on what's negative because I'm stressing out over stuff that probably either – Aren't, it's not going to happen or it happened five mm -hmm. years ago and it's over with. Right. Let me stop thinking about that and start thinking about all the good that's happening. Um, your story, um, in the book, you talk about a lot of incidents. You have someone that have really good outcomes. And then mm -hmm. like every firefighter, you could do everything right and things can still go wrong. You have some that are and I, and I felt these, haven't been a guy that has been through a couple instances where things didn't go right. Mm -hmm. um, I think any firefighter can read this and say, man, I get that. I've been there. Different scenario, but same feeling. But for you, I guess it must have felt like stuff's kind of like, like somebody's dropping rocks on you. It's getting heavier and heavier. Would that make sense? It's a great statement. You know, um, a chief that I had a long time ago, whether he ripped it off from somewhere else, because let's be honest, a lot of what we teach in the fire service, we rip off from someone else and we try, try to cite it if possible, but you just pick it up along the way, you know, but a chief told me, you know, he's like, every call you go to, you pick a piece of it up, but you also leave a piece of yourself there. And he always said, leave the best part of you there because you're also going to leave um, some muscle fibers that have been torn, a back sprain, some other things on those scenes too. But walk away leaving that scene with the best version of you because it's going to bless the people you've been called to serve. Hmm. But on the flip side, you're going to pick up a piece of every scene. Now, for me, yes, I would return to the firehouse from a horrible scene. And in Oakland, we have a lot of people trapped in house fires. And you're in a spot where, if you want to call it blessed to be, you know, grabs and pull people out, our department does. You know what? I'm not there anymore. So I did do it. 
Um, and it would, it would be, it would hurt you, you know, to see someone. And what cut me the deepest is not the people that didn't make it. It was the families. Cause you're looking into the eyes and the souls of the loved ones who are lost. So I never had an incident that totally tore me up. It was basically what I found out was I didn't have anywhere to leave the pain that I was picking up along the way, the cumulative effects. And to make matters worse, I was also trying to use the fire service to heal me. And so it was like a double whammy, if you will. So my joke that I always say is my PTSD had PTSD from my childhood. And if you think about that, a lot of us do that. We have the the negatives, the stressors that came with us into the job already. Then we're picking up new ones. And as you mentioned, if we don't have any skills or a set developed on a place where to leave those and work our way through them, because I'll tell you what. I, they come back to haunt me the same one sometimes, but I now have a skill set to work my way through them. And I think that's a, a something we should all do. And I say kudos to you because I know that's something that you talk about and teach with people quite a bit. Yeah. Well, and you talk about uh, PTSD. Did you know at the time, hey, this is what I'm dealing with or you couldn't even. I couldn't even that. explain it. All I explain it is like my book was I was in a darkness. Nothing was good. Right. Pulling someone out of a fire, it didn't make me feel better. Saving a life didn't make me feel better. Having a boat, a truck, a house paid for, you know, and out here in California, fireman makes a pretty good living and stuff. And so I lived outside the city. So I was able to afford more, but bro, I never felt better. The truck never made me feel better. Hanging out with the guys at the bar never made me feel better. Hanging out with a hot girl never made me feel better. And so I was just kind of shutting down into my own little world. And basically I didn't want to be around anyone as much as I did. Like I'd go to the firehouse and I love the camaraderie. But then on that other side, the camaraderie is here. But then over here, there's pain. It's like they're pushing back and forth yeah. on each other. And it, it was almost as if I was going nuts in my own mind. And psychologically, I'm okay. But psychologically, I was also not okay. And that's something I try to tell firefighters out there. Dude, we don't need to be all kumbaya all the time. I get it. You don't, you know, come back for every scene. Oh, let's huddle up and how are you and everything. But what I tell people is we always teach to recognize the ones who are struggling, well, I'm actually getting a little tougher as I go on through love by saying those of you who are struggling, we're now giving you the tools you need. You need to reach out for them too. Because like me, I never reached out for them and it almost took me down. You said a lot of good things. First of all, earlier you said, I'm not sure what Chief said this, so you kind of don't know who to quote. I'm going to give you a tip on that. Try to cite the person who gave you the quote three times and after that, it's yours. Okay. I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right. So uh, I I'm going to cite you three times for my next book. Then it's mine right now. I'm just kidding. I got you. So Thanks. I, appreciate it. I, uh, I just saw somebody posted this on a, on a fire service page on Facebook. Um, what's a more powerful emotion, love or hate? Ooh. For me, I think go love. With, yeah. Love because love, love conquers hate. You yeah. know, hate, hate has a very worldly feel to it. But from my spiritual side, because everyone knows, well, most people know, I lean on to my faith. I'm not here to preach, teach, and talk about Christ crucified and stuff. But I'd be fake if I didn't tell people I lean, lean on my faith. And love conquers all. I could cite you a million different verses where that's true. Well, maybe probably a thousand different verses if we want to be correct there. But, you know, I I, I think hate is an amazing crushing moment where it's, mm, I, I mean, dude, don't get me wrong. I feel hatred and I just want to throat punch something, right? But then 
love, which is much stronger because it continues forever. It overpowers the hate and it mellows us down and calms us down and eventually shows us how to conquer hate. So my vote on that one is uh, love is a stronger power. Yeah, I'm with you. I think um, hatred destroys you, but love expands you. Yeah, And uh, gives you the ability to share. Now, let's get into the moment where you are at your house. You're off duty. Uh, I think you just came back from a shift and you make this decision that you're going to end it. This is a powerful part of your story. It's a powerful part of the book, but talk about what happened. You know, what's so crazy about this is my buddy, he, to this day, we talk quite often. He still won't let me put his name out there. I think so. I won't do it. Um, I'm at home. I'm at the end of my rope. I haven't went to a church. A church turned me away. I'm not a Christian at the time. And finally I decide I'm done. I'm going to end my life. And what's so scary right there, Frank, is I felt a sense of peace that wasn't real peace, but it was truly looking at it. The devil's like, all right, I won. I'm done with you now. I got you. And it's like he moved on. And I was just like in a world of, I'm just done, you know? And it, it was such a sad feeling, but an empty feeling. But I was just going to go through because I didn't want to be beat down anymore. I didn't want to be kicked around. I felt like from day one that I was born all the way up until even my mid-20s where this happened, I was just kicked around ready to be done. And what saved me was when I really was getting ready to leave my house, to head out to my surf spot, because my biggest thing is I just didn't want to be another bad memory for another first responder or firefighter. So I was going to make sure no one found me. That was the biggest thing. I was going to paddle as far out in the ocean as I could and let the animals take care of me out there. But as I was getting ready to do that, a San Francisco fireman came over and visited me. And he didn't even know what he's doing, but he looked at me. And what I tell people is, as firefighters, every time we meet someone or walk anywhere, we're assessing them. We're assessing the room, right? We're always assessing. It's something that's just grinding into our DNA. And he looked at me. He's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. He's like, no, you're not. Let's, let's go out to breakfast. And he took me to breakfast. And it was, in my mind, a total God moment because that was it. Nothing was going to stop me, man. That was the day my life was going to end. And then a guy came over and invited me to breakfast and something happened at that moment. And I'm going to say it was like a one is healed all at that moment. But I started recognizing what you mentioned a few minutes, the good in things. And when a girl entered my life, she said something that you just said, concentrate on the good stories, concentrate. The bad stories are there. We're not hiding from, we're not faking out, but so often if someone, I hold a door open for them and they just blast on through. I think about that rude person all day, right? Why did they do that? Why did they do it? Think about the million other good things that happened that day, but I'm concentrating on that rude person. Well, then I have to reflect back on me and say, yo, bro, don't hold doors open for people if you're expecting a thank you first off, okay? Because you shouldn't open the door for them if you want something to return out of it. Number two, you're right. Let's concentrate on the good stories and work on not making the bad stories own us. And that's a huge thing that I like to preach out there to folks too. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about firefighters always assessing things. We talk about that, about our awareness because of of what we do every day. We see, think about a police officer. A police officer goes out right. to dinner. Where do they sit? With their back against the wall facing a door, right? Because yeah. they're assessing things. A firefighter walks into a room. They're looking for exits. They're <laughs> right. looking for a way out. But- um, sometimes 
we can see something in people because we deal with people at their worst yeah. moments and we can see something's going on here. Right. And no, uh, I, I agree on that. When you, when your job, you know, the way I explain it is honestly, if you want to break down what a firefighter does, we're just a tool for human tragedy. We, we, we show up with our tools with us and we ride on toolboxes we don't know what we're going to get till we get there. So we're just basically a toolbox for human tragedy. And as you said, you learn a lot about people when you show up and they're in their worst moments of their life and you're there to help them figure it out or figure it out for them, how to get them out of those moments. So I agree with that totally. You know, there's this thing I hear some firefighters talk about this phrase that many of them use saying, it's not my emergency. And I think I know what they mean when they're trying to at the original premises, hey, don't you panic. It's not your emergency. You're supposed to right. be in control. Right. But I think some people look at it and they say, Hey, it's not my emergency. No big deal. It's not but what I'm well, trying to explain to this generation coming up or people that don't understand it is it is your emergency because when you took the oath, you swore to inherit their problems and their emergencies as your own like i like to say right. it, it may be their structure that's on fire but it's your structure fire right you know right i'm in total agreement with that because that's why i'm not as much as like mantras kind of bug me a little because they just stop we need explanations i get like you i understand what you're saying is not your emergency because maybe as a senior officer senior firefighter i'm trying to calm you down let you know to to chill it's not our emergency but hear me out it is our emergency because we've been called to it. You, like you said, rose your hand. You're inheriting it. We got to show up. What I like to tell people way in advance now is I tell them, here's what I want you to hear. You cannot do whatever you want to do or become whatever you want to be. Does that mean we get to be sluggers and not work? No, you got to work your tail off. But I was told my whole life, you can accomplish anything you want if you work hard enough. Bro, if that's the case, I was the worst firefighter and paramedic on the face of the earth because people died at my hands when I was trying to save them. But over here, this camp's teaching, you can become anything you want to be as long as you try hard enough. No, I say, try hard enough, work your tail off, look to God and say, I did all I could, all right? Because we should find the joy in the response, not the outcome. Mm. If we looked for joy in the outcomes, bro, we'd have a miserable job and it's going to take you down, right? So the joy should come from obeying orders, obeying your oath, going out the door, giving your all, and then walking away, standing tall, not pridefully, but humbly knowing you did everything you could do, but God had a different plan. And you were part of his plan and the failure of the person not being pulled out of the fire was part of the plan. I don't know why I can't figure it out, but I can stand tall and humbly saying we showed up and we were obedient and did what we were called to do. So I tell the young folks, find joy in obedience, not the outcomes. Mm, that's great advice. And because again, we said this, I think earlier, but you could do everything right and things will still go wrong. Yeah. And you may think... What did I do wrong? Doesn't mean did anything wrong. I mentioned Patterson Fire Department at the beginning of this. I wanted to Oh, shout great out. department, by the way, too, man. What a wow. Well, yeah. check this out. And we're talking about Patterson, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. In the last eight days, they had 10 saves, EMS related saves. 10. Mm -hmm. Right. And I when I talked to them, I said, You need to be 
really proud of you. There's 10 people walking on this planet today that would not be walking on this planet today right. if it wasn't for them. Right. That's wow. something to be proud of. And But it doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, and I do come from an old school camp, too, because, I, you know, like one of the chiefs I was working with, I'm not joking. He came on in the early 50s. Think about that. I mean, that's like that was an eternity ago in the fire service. Right. And what I loved was taking on some of that that he taught me. And it's all the same thing is his level of thinking was and again, it was hardcore was, well, if you didn't do the job, you should be reprimanded. If you did your job, why are we awarding you? And I kind of like that, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm, a, I'm about accolades and doing all that. But I remember when they were giving me an award for a grab that I had. And I truly, my heart, I felt that chief because I was like, gosh, darn it, man. I don't want this award. I just want to be okay. I don't care about this award. Then when someone says, like, someone says, thank you for your service. I get where they're going. But our thank you comes every two weeks in the form of a paycheck. Mm. You know what I mean? And I'm of the camp that if you didn't do your job, maybe you shouldn't be getting that paycheck. You know, so I, I don't want to sound so hardcore, but I, I like to find that balance. So when I hear some like the guys that are Patterson are doing, that's a department that just gets it. Those guys get it and they're doing their job. You don't hear about it nationwide, no. but they're making differences day well, in and day out. So and that's, that's why awesome. I wanted to say it on this on this show is that, I mean, they did make a difference and continue to make a difference. And yeah, firefighters are many of them are like that, man. I don't I don't need a citation, I don't need an award, right. I don't need a plaque. But I'll tell you what we don't do enough of. We don't do enough of turning to the guy in that or that girl in a jump seat next to you and saying, You did a great job on that call. Right. I That's agree. That's what we need more of. I fully agree. Yeah, you know, one thing I used to take on that when I was working a busy engine company or truck company was with a new person, even responding, I would slide over to the jump seat on the other side. I know chiefs. Yeah. I had my seatbelt on. No, I'm just joking. But I would slide over to the other side and tell them, Hey, take a breather. Just calm down for a minute. In a second, we're going to be going from a zero to a hundred miles per hour. Yeah. Just hang on, stay right behind me and let's go. And I think that's something we need to do too. Cause we drill, like we love drilling, drilling, drilling. But sometimes when we get to the fire ground, it's like we just expect them to use that drilling. I even on the way to the fire, like to give them a little chill out talk for a second, you know, and, and explain to them what's going on, too. And I, I think it's great to do it before and after. It's a good thing. It's like that movie Major League when when the one uh, kid is brand new. He's a rookie. He's in a dugout and he's like getting all excited. He's like, hey, relax. We got about 180 more of these to go. <laughs> right, 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 right. Let's well, you know, it's. It's a good thing. And when you see someone do something good, you know, we're always so quick to pick up and call it the bad, you know, beat up a probie, beat up another engine company or truck company. You know, like I say, what's wrong with saying, hey, nice work, man. Hey, good job, man. You did really good here. Check this out. We can also learn from some uh, little trip ups that we had too, including myself. And I think when you're teaching people, you need to take yourself as an example. Say, I learned a lot from a couple of mistakes I made on this fire mm -hmm. too. You know, yeah. you may not have seen them, but I saw them and I'm going to try to get better for the next one. Yeah. Humility goes a long way. Mm -hmm. So now we we're back to your story, how you became a firefighter, what mm -hmm. challenges you went through this, this dark time, you trying to pull yourself out, enter Christy. Let's talk about your wife oh, or man, this woman before she is your wife. Right. So things in my life were slowly taking a change and I was just kind of trying to figure things out. And I go out to dinner with my mom and my niece at a restaurant where all the cool college kids hang out. That's the cool crowd and everything. I've been there a hundred times, but I was usually sitting in the bar. 
this time I'm having dinner. And this waitress across the restaurant just like caught my attention because she was so beautiful, but she had like a glow about her. And what impressed me, and I know this sounds so weird, it's kind of like a, a one of those good firefighters work with that they they look the job and act the job too. You know, they they acted out. Well, she was just like living her faith out in front of me just by serving other people, by taking orders, being truly friendly. And so she came over to me and dude, I was tongue tied. And as we know, just from this podcast, I have a lot of words <laughs> in me and they come out. <laughs> she caught me and it was just her inner beauty and the outer beauty came out. And her and I started dating and she's the one who actually first started professing her faith to me, which at that time in my life, I hated everything that was good, including Christians, but I couldn't find a way to hate her. When I say hate, it wasn't a deep hatred, but it was like what we're talking about earlier, all the negative was within me. So if I saw positive someone else, maybe you could call it jealousy that I had. And so the jealousy made me not like them. Well, she started just, you know, talking about love and telling me about things. And, you know, first time I ever broken down, we had a, a wreck outside the firehouse where a little girl was a hit and run by a car and we were all back playing uh, basketball. And so I actually ran down to the scene and I was telling her about how it just crushed me that I was holding the girl. And the only thing I could think about was not letting the mom's last memory be the mangled girl's body. So I'm trying to cover her up as I'm holding her and trying to get her head covered because the mom's running down and her heart, I can hear it breaking in real time and stuff. And it was just rough. And I'm explaining to this Christy, to my wife, Christy, well, my girlfriend, Christy, at the time, I'd never opened up like that. Even when I was just opening up and I see her crying and bro, I'm like, all right, here we go. I messed up another relationship. And I said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have gone there with that. And she goes, no. Yeah. I'm sad about the little girl or mom, but what crushes me is that you had to deal with that. I just cried. And, and so she First person that ever poured love into me. I'm like, wait, what? You're concerned about me. I'm telling you this hideous, hideous scene where a girl lost her life and the mom witnessed it, but your concern is for me. And that's when the change started happening, you know, and, and I started things just, I started able to see the goodness in things because she showed me the goodness within her, you know, she poured it into me. So that's, that's why I light up. And that was, you know, 20 years ago and we've been married for uh, 18 years because I asked her to marry me for two years and she kept saying no, but I finally did something right. She finally said, yes. Well, you're persistent and that's what that's all about. And so <laughs> that's for sure. I'm not going to stop, man. You know, breach that wall, right? Whatever it takes and stuff. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, you're very open about your faith now. And um, what was that transition like from you going to saying, you know, hey, I, I don't like this group of people to saying, hey, this is what I believe in and I'm and I, I'm OK with it. I want to let you know about it. And not in a not in a way yeah. where you're trying to convert anybody, but you just you you have the confidence and belief yeah. in something and you want to share it. Yeah, well, that's like anything. If I'm dead set that I think one of the greatest tools on a fire scene is a well-trained and courageous nozzleman is one of the greatest tools of the piece of equipment you can have on the fire gun, right? I'm going to go out and preach that, right? I'm going to preach. I'm going to talk about all the other things that come in coordination, everything that we want in there. But when I have something that I've seen work and something that can truly change lives and change eternities, how can I not preach it? I have to preach it. Now, hear me out on this. I can sit in the Castro of San Francisco or in Berkeley and I'm not street preaching. I'm not throwing it out there, 
I'm just hanging out with people and getting to know them. I'm hanging out with firefighters. I'm hanging out with someone who's struggling, someone who's like maybe struggling with things I struggled. And I talked to them like, dude, this world's loud. It's going to just be so loud. It's going to pour so much crap into you. And it's going to pour so much negativity in you. And this is what helped me, man. I'm going to pray it helps you, but I also just don't go heavy. It's like if someone's having a heart attack, I don't go out and give them diabetic medication or I don't pump them full of what they need. Or if someone is having a stroke, I'm not giving them all the medicines for someone having a heart attack. You have to assess each person what they can handle. Maybe I am going to write hardcore Christ crucified on someone because they need to hear that. Or it's, yo, let's go grab a drink or something, whatever they like to drink, you know, and hang out. So, um, but I am going to let people see my faith because if I don't let them see my faith, I'm fake, bro. I am fake. Mm-hmm. So whenever I start a conversation, I'm like, listen, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. But I understand many of you don't hold the same beliefs of me. Guess what? I still love you. And the more conservative I get in my faith, the more it makes me want to love on all people. You know, so that's that's how I approach people and keep it real. But am I just running around talking about Jesus all day? I'm actually not, man. Yeah. Am I trying to live a life that honors him? 100%. You know, you and I have had actually two conversations now one was just us talking about almost a lot of some similar stuff we're talking about right now and then this one right here and yeah i did i never got an impression that you're a person that's trying to push anybody in any direction which is great but it's also this i think someone will listen to this podcast for example and they might take something away from, oh, hey, it's okay that I had these feelings, or hey, I'm there too, and now I know he got through it, or hey, I needed to hear this message of what you just talked about right now. And that could be the same person listening to this podcast three different times, taking a different message, because that's what they need in their life at that point. Right. You know, it's like reading your book. I'm sure if I were to read this book again in a month, there would be something else in this book that I say, wow. Almost mm-hmm. like I didn't even read this the first time, but now that's the truth. And that's like anything. It's like when I get my Bible or someone else's book, or you know, I'm getting ready to start cracking through your books. I'm super excited about it. You know, is um, I love going back and rereading it because when someone reads my book, I'll get guys like, "I'm back in the church because of you, Jason." Well, humbly, you know, you know, you never want to say, "Well, it's not because of me," because you sound kind of rude. Like, oh man, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. We'll be praying for you. Then someone else goes. Jason, I'll tell you what, I struggle with PTSD too, but they're not talking about the church side or they'll relate. Dude, I had that same call. You know, like, like the one that cracks me up is people want to think, oh, so you got the Medal of Valor and all this because you jumped through a window and you refused to leave and you masked this lady up and everything. Bro, I made about 42 mistakes on that fire. All we had to do was breach the wall and bring her out. But we're thinking about how to hoist a 400 pound <laughs> through a hole and all this. And so, so one guy hits me up like, dude, you totally messed up on that call where you went on that lady you rescued. Right. And, you know, I'm not a fan of armchair, uh, you know, quarterbacks and the fire service. I said, why? He's like, well, I was just reading into it. He's like, do you ever guys think about breaching the wall? I'm like, bro, when you're getting ready to die, you don't have a whole lot running through your brain. You know, so I was thinking about getting a hose line in there. So like you said, it's cool how everyone gets something out of it from it over and over again. And yeah, my my prayer is that a seed will be planted that will make them want to go check out the faith a little more, you know, or go get help or, 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 yeah. And uh, on the Monday morning quarterback topic by the way i think we can add this that everybody is an expert at fighting the fires they weren't at oh man i tell you what that's why i refuse i like to go and watch a couple different things huh okay that's interesting i'm 
okay, but I would never put anything out there because I'm not on scene. I'm not seeing it. Yeah, we could go all day on that, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm in agreement. I'm watching a video from uh, – uh, in my town here in Tom's River, there's quite a few UFC fighters. I've Ooh. had a couple on the podcast. And I'm watching a video from one of them, a, a retired fighter that says, hey, you know what? Um, I wish people would stop posting so much negative stuff about fighters when they lose, especially. For example, he was right. saying a fighter had just got knocked out and people are posting and tagging that fighter when he's in the hospital. He's getting, right. you know, it's a brutal sport. But he's it in the is. hospital, he's getting stitched up, he's, and people are posting negative stuff on social media, not knowing that, hey, for whatever it is, they're doing something they're passionate about, they love, but at the same time, it is a form of entertainment. Some people like it, some people don't. Ooh. But they are putting their lives on the line, like the football players and right. any other right. pro athlete. But where I'm going with this is it's easy to sit in a chair at your house and criticize people who are doing something that you're not. Now, on right. that topic, I want to ask you, do you have any critics? Uh, I got a ton of critics, and quite a few of them are the guys I worked with. And I'll be honest with you, I get I get it, okay? But here's how, I'm going to know more about how, what's said, but how I deal with it. It crushed me the day that I, the doctor said I couldn't be a fireman anymore, crushed my soul. Now half the people say, well, Jason bailed out early. He could have come back. Oh, he's injured. This guy made back from injury. Bro, I fought for a year and a half to get back with a lawyer. And I couldn't because the injury was that severe. Now it also saddens me because I wanted to keep doing it. But now I look back and go, let the naysayers be the naysayers because someone else got left at the OFD for 40 plus years. Why? Because that's where God wanted them to pull people out and do what he's doing. I got left in the fire service for a total of 22 years with a little training at the end and stuff, which, you know, I kind of add on to there too, but 22 years of working in EMS from the age of 18 into my forties. And I was there because God had a different plan for me. He had a plan for me to now use all the stuff that I learned to go out there on the road and help people in other ways. And I'm cool with that now. So are there naysayers all the time? Do people want to call me out all the time? But the beauty about it is I just say, hey, give my bros that I actually worked with at OFD a call. Give my homie uh, Reggie Freeman a call, man. You know, he's he's the chief of the department and stuff. And ask about the good Great I'm doing man, now as a thousand where up, I should be. If you're going to bring up Reggie's name, I just got to say he's a, he's a good friend of mine as well. He's a great man. I had lunch with him just two weeks ago. Yeah. Fantastic. He's, he's a great guy and stuff. So, so with me, yeah, we all have critics. You said something to me that resonated with me. And it's actually biblically too. I was looking at was there's a reason we also don't teach in our own areas and own towns. There really is. Sometimes it's better to go out and do things. And, and I don't want to go too far into that, but it's the truth because but biblically it lines up. And I was talking to a pastor about that too. It's better to leave your hometown, get out, teach what you learned there then just keep teaching the guys inside, you know, and stuff. So it's good stuff there. Yeah. And and I believe the quote I said to you, and this was in our conversation before this, is you can't be a prophet in your own land, or it's yeah. hard to be. And um, yeah, there's some truth to that. But at the same time, I, you know, if you have a message, and this is something I want to share with people, and then I want to get into you writing the book. If you Ooh. have a message that you feel compelled to, to share and you feel a calling to share, whatever it is, share it. Share that sure. message. 
you are going to have critics. You are going to get ridiculed. It's going to happen. But critics yeah. only have power over you if you give it to them. And right. you, could, you can you can honestly live in a prison with bars that are made from other people's opinions. Yes. Or you could just say, no. I mean, I, I had just had this conversation with my 12-year-old where – he he was concerned that that somebody was saying something negative at him at school and in school mm-hmm. when you're a 12 year old in school the whole world is that school you know like you don't know there's there's way more than just the the 42 kids that you do know in that school mm-hmm. or but he he was concerned about this negative comment and i said to him listen i want i want you to understand something two things one is they're not talking about you cuz and I, and I said, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but right. they're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about their own stuff. And maybe Ooh. if they said a negative comment about you, it's in passing. It's nothing right. big. You're still friends. Let it go. But I, then I, I kind of gave him a warning. I said, here's Ooh. something I learned way too late in life. If you do have a negative thing to say about someone and it's not helpful, don't say it because what you say about someone is going to get back to them. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's just not the right thing to do. But what you say about someone is going to eventually get back to them, and it's going to get back to them in a way that you didn't even mean it. Right, right. And then you got to yep. did, did you say this about me? Well, hold on. Mm-hmm. Two, two of our buddies were talking negatively about about Dave, and I jumped in and gave my two cents about Dave, and then they went and said to Dave, hey, you know what he said about you? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we need we need to build each other. And I fall back on that. We've been called to build each other up, not tear each other down. Right. That's it. So let's do this. I, I'm sure Ooh. that you have friends that have said, hey, man, I, I got a book in me. I want to write a book. Yeah. I get that mm-hmm. a lot. I want to write a book. It just happened to me yesterday. Someone says, I want to write a book. I said, call mm-hmm. me. I'll talk you through the process that mm-hmm. I use, but understand this. My mm-hmm. process may not be yours. Right. My my personal opinion is you want to write a book, write every day, even if it's a sentence, mm-hmm. a paragraph, mm-hmm. or just notes, and then you can come back yes. later and clean it up. Mm-hmm. What was your process when you said, all right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to write a rescue? Were you one of these guys that said, all right, this is going to be harder than I thought, or hey, man, this was simple? For me, it was hard. It was well, first off, I said no for way too long, and no, no, and no, because I was speaking at men's retreats at churches and telling a little bit of my testimony and people are like, you need to put this all together in one version instead of all these little blogs. Right. So I fall back on, I'm too dumb. I'm just a dumb fireman. I just, you know, I dropped out of high school. I can't, I can't, I used every excuse in the world to be a wimp about it. Okay. Basically. So one month during a summer, I said, all right, let me sit down and just, excuse me, just go for it. And I wrote the whole book in a matter of like two weeks, just knocked it out. Then I said, read it. I'm like, wow, this doesn't have the arcs. This doesn't have all the stuff other books has. It has the stories. So I started researching how to write a book, how to get published. I knew I didn't have the skill set to do a self-published book, nor the time. So I reached out to some literary agents who then pointed me to some established writers. And I had a writer come alongside me, a professional writer who basically has no of you know stories of his own but he helps people arc their stories, bring them together. So there's nothing fake in the book. Nothing got changed, but to go one scene to the next growth of a character, things like that. I brought a professional writer in to help me with that. 
And then we went ahead after that was all good to go. We submitted to a couple of different um, publishers and I was so fortunate to get yes from a couple of them. So we got to pick the one that we wanted. I went it with Thomas Nelson. Now I get that that's not the norm and it sounds really fast, but for me, I went the route of making sure that my stories resonated with people. So what I tell writers Find a platform that you can write every day, whether only one person reads it or 10 people read it, go for it. And then they'll come back and say, no, that's not me. I don't do that. And I'm like, well, then why do you want to write a book? <laughs> Who's going to read it then, bro? You got to get out there and tell your stories. You got to make sure people are interested and, and learn that way and get feedback and see the stories they like, see the ones they don't like, but you hit the nail on the head right every day in one way or another. But I'm also a huge advocate of also post your stuff out there on social media too. have the courage to start doing that because you're going to go from just sitting home to all of a sudden publishing it nationally. That, that's a huge shock. So it's kind of cool to get little snippets out there, you know, and on the business side, that also makes it where publishers also look for you. There's an audience that already wants to read your stuff too, and they want more out of you. So yes, write every day. It doesn't have to be good. It just has to be something that's on your heart. Yep, right every day. And you can come back and do what you did and what I do, come back later, look through it. And some Ooh. of the stuff you're going to look at, you're going to go, wow, this is really good. And some of the stuff you're going to say, no, I need to work on this. Very interesting thing about your book. I mentioned this to you when we spoke. Um, I read the book. I enjoy the book. I look at the back page at the end. Instead of reading what's the book about and who is this guy, I don't read the back until the very end. I just went right into it. And at the end, I go, Thomas Nelson, it figures. Because uh, I, I'm a fan of the publishing company. My favorite uh, book mm -hmm. that I had read was uh, The Traveler's Gift, put out by Andy Andrews, mm -hmm. Thomas Nelson author. So I'm like, mm -hmm. well, it figures. You know, They put out really good books that have a great message. Yeah, and, they, uh, they craft it really well. And they, yeah. they give you a team. So again, nothing gets changed. But they help craft it, bring it along, get the inside look right, the outside look right, you know, give you ideas like, hey, story flow here. Did something else happen at this time in your life, too, that could actually be more poignant to the story you're trying to get out there? You know, things like that. You're right. They're brilliant on that. They really uh, help me craft the story in a way that people can understand. And I wanted it to be, as you mentioned, a quick and easy read, even though it was full of a lot of content. I think that's almost like a, a principle to help people through challenges in life is if you can't figure out how to get there by yourself, you need to surround yourself with a good team. Yeah. And 100%. Check this out. I am your guy. When you got to go interior and do a search with or without a hose line, you want to go up on the roof. I'm your guy. If you want me to tie your rope or not to dangle off the side of the Bay Bridge, don't ask me because I don't even feel comfortable tying my own. So therefore, I make sure I have a rescue systems guy around me, vice versa. Maybe the rescue systems guy, he's not cowardice by any means, but maybe he hasn't been up on a roof a lot of times, you know, it's like, hey, let me show you how to cut a little toe hole. Let me show you how to lean into the building and, you know, things like that. You're right. We need to have a team around. I have never put out a fire alone. I've never solved a problem fully alone. It always takes a team of people. And I surround myself with people who are strong where I'm weak and where I'm strong where they're weak and vice versa. Because we've all surround ourselves full of strong people. We're going to have some major weaknesses and some big gaps. So I think it's really crucial to identify our own weaknesses 
and the weaknesses of others and team up where we can be the best benefit to one another. So we have just a badass team to go make things happen. Excuse my language, but it's just how I feel on that subject. I agree hundred percent, you know, and, and it even comes down to building the business or, or anything. If you're the smartest person in the room, if you're the most competent person, the most well-trained person, the most passionate person, some of that's good. But if you're all of that, you probably have a weak team. Yeah, you know, we I need agree. somebody who has strengths in areas where we may maybe like my, my man who's sitting next to me silent right now. I'm going to do a mm-hmm. shout out to Chris DePiro right now. Right. Uh, this guy, um, he can and does succeed in any area of his life he chooses to. He's one of the most successful people I know. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do this without right. him. I mean, I wish you could see our studio right now, what he pulls oh, yeah. together. I'm the talking head. He's right, right. That's it. That's like with me. I've got the stories. I can tag the stories into scripture that backs it up or, you know, makes it show there. But when it has comes time to technology, I'm like, I, I, bro, I'm horrible. I'm the least violent person you'll ever meet unless you're electronic. I might hit you with a hammer or throw you in my pool. Okay. I just, electronics kill me. So you're right. That's why you need successful people in all areas. Surround yourself with them. I'm in agreement wholeheartedly with that statement. So one of the best things that I've uh, heard you say was that, or actually I think it was in your acknowledgments at the back of the book, if I'm not mistaken, you correct me on that, but you said how you, you didn't even know what an adjective was or, you know, when you wrote the book. And I have said this for several years. I said, I know you're not going to believe me when I talk to people, but I didn't know the difference between an adjective and an adverb. And mm-hmm. I wrote, and I typed my first book with two fingers using my thumb for the space bar. And so (laughs) when I read that, I said, I, you know, I need to talk to this guy. So I think it was in here because I said, that's funny right there. Yeah. I don't know the difference between noun or pronoun, verb or proverb. (laughs) I know the book of Proverbs, you know, Proverbs and stuff, but here's the thing. And I'm going to go off on a tangent for a second and pull back. This is what drives me nuts about media and fire service. Sometimes we're so quick to just look at the writing as opposed to the content. I don't care if your or you are are misspelled as long as I can see the context. I've read some of the most amazing things like, whoa, this person just poured into my life and my soul and my career based off of these three sentences, but they were misspelled. But then the grammar Nazis come and go, I can't take you seriously unless you spell it right. Well, I can't take you seriously because you went to Harvard and didn't write on the back of a fire engine. Both of those statements are lame. You know what I mean? I want to see the content of the person and I want to see it pour out in their writing without worrying about the grammar as much, you know, and don't get me wrong. There's a time for proper grammar and, you know, we all have a glossary if those are still things, you know, we're writing our reports to make sure we get it right and stuff. But it's just something I wanted to throw out there with you. You know, when I started my journey as a writer, I think one of the biggest challenges I had was I did not read enough books when I was younger. I wish I did. So there were times I remember it, I was probably a sophomore in high school when I I had to read something out of a book to uh, to the class and I struggled. I, I I could read, don't get me wrong, yeah, I but I struggled because between the public speaking portion of it and the reading and I I didn't read that much so it didn't flow. It would be a little choppy. One Ooh. of the things I do today, and I'm bringing this up because it's my 13-year-old, um, he said to me, uh, Dad, 
he wants to earn some money. And uh, I'm sure there's some kind of electronic widget that he wants. But Ooh. he wants to earn some money. And he says, um, can I earn some money? Is there anything I can do around the house to make money? I said, well, no, because you your chores around the house you're supposed to do. I'm not going to pay you to yeah. do what you're supposed yeah. to do. But if you remember what I told you a while ago, I will pay you if you read books. Mm -hmm. If you read a book, and here's an example. If he reads a book, he's reading one right now. He's almost finished with it, just started it yesterday. But if he reads this book, that book is worth $15. And from that $15, he gets five of it. We're going to invest some. We're going to save some. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to teach him a little bit about money. Love and, it. Yeah. And and I, for me, that's something that'll have. It's, it's uh, impactful. Yeah. It's so impactful life. And, you know, and I love your, also love your style because I find it also a blessing maybe that you were in a situation where you didn't have that growing up because it made you live in your head. And one thing I'm starting to experience is by living in your head for so long, you also look into things a little different. I'm not saying your son's not, don't get me wrong. He's even more well-rounded probably than you and I, right? But by living in your head, you can also develop stories sometimes too. You can look into stories and say, wow, I wonder a little more on that. So I think with you, why you're such a prolific writer and also speaker is part of that was because maybe you did live in your head and didn't learn from some of the writers early on too. And again, it's just speculation, but no, it's things like that. Right. I, yeah. I always look for the positives in all side too, you know? You're right. And there is positive in everything. Yeah. I, being an mm -hmm. overthinker, that is the truth. I, I was mm -hmm. so stuck in my own head that for mm -hmm. me, I, it's like I would see movies constantly in my head, right. you know, somebody's – and I, I would date, a lot of day, daydreaming in school. I'd start mm -hmm. every semester saying, all right, I'm going to make the honor roll this year. Right. By the second hour of the first day, I realized <laughs> I just missed the last 20 minutes. I don't know where it went, <laughs> but my head was somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but well, I think that what you just said, I think, is something that that I hope people understand is you could take what you perceive as a weakness, what could be right. a, a challenge in your life, and and pull a positive out of that somehow. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I was just watching a special about a coach who, a tennis coach who had struggled when he was younger. That he was in therapy because he had a hard time uh, just socializing normally. And he said it took him one year just to say hello to his therapist, one full year. Wow. And that was the first word he said. And it took him a full year. But he became a very famous um, tennis coach, coached some, of the, you know, some of the best players in the world, like the Williams sisters. Ooh. And one of the things he said was, the one thing that happened to me during this process of not talking was I was observing. And as an observer, I was noticing things about people. And that ultimately became what he felt was his greatest strength as a coach is he can read people better because he's focused on their mannerisms, their body language, their gestures, and their gestures clusters, so their gesture clusters. Mm -hmm. So it's not just what they're saying. He's like your friend reading you saying, no, you're not okay. Right. That's a skill. Right. No, I teach my sons that all the time. I'm like words, when I'm face to face, someone words have fewer meanings than their posture, their language, what's going on. Because I see something more, I'm like, well, you're just kind of rambling right now. So I don't see your words matching up with what you're really saying. So I'll tell my boys, I don't believe a thing that person just told me, you know, like they're trying to sell me something, right? Mm -hmm. 
or when I hear someone and maybe they're stumbling over their words, but I see how in tuned their body language is with their words and what they're trying to get to me. I go all in on that person. So I, I get exactly what you're saying. And also assessing when someone says I'm fine, like my son, you're not fine, especially a teenage boy, right? So no, you're not fine. You're mad at me for some reason. What's up, bro? Because you can see it. Well, when you start learning people in public too, it's a class of things like this person's really hurt. Like I'll be walking out the street and my heart just crushes sometimes because I can just see someone who's hurting and they didn't say a thing to me, you know? And, and, and I think that's just something certain people have it's a it's a an ability a god-given gift you know and it's it's something that we need to cherish and also uh make sure we use it for the good to help people too yeah and that's the key right there help people and on that note i want to say that uh chris this is something i was thinking about while jason and i were speaking at the end of this podcast i think we need to put up uh for anybody that's watching it uh like suicide hotline number and if there's anything, if anybody's dealing with PTSD or struggles like that, first thing you need to know is that there's a good chance, first of all, if you're a firefighter, if you're in law enforcement, your employer, if you're a career, or even if you're a volunteer, your community probably has some sort of a employee's assistance program mm -hmm. where you can get counseling, you can get help. Many of them, it's free and it's confidential. And if not, there's hotlines for this that you can pick up the phone, you can call, you can talk to somebody. And what's really amazing, if you really want to talk about the power of social media, is you can get in contact with people that, and not everybody, but you can get in contact with people like other firefighters and say, mm -hmm. hey, you know what, I know you dealt with this. I heard you on that podcast. Um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to see if if I can talk to you or mm -hmm. and communicate with people. we I know I do that all the time. I'm sure you do it as well. Oh, I do it all the time. What I tell guys and gals out there is hit me up, but please, if, if I don't answer I do, and I miss it somehow, it's not on purpose and I'm not better than you because I'm so busy and stuff. But what I really do is even after I talk to someone, I say, I can't help you locally. I want, I want to point you to your local, I want you to hear how my local brothers and sisters and all this stuff that I have surrounding me from my department help me. I want to direct you towards that. Now I'm not pushing you off because I know firefighters, oh, you're pushing off. I am not pushing you off, but I may be a thousand miles away from you. And a phone call with me is not going to fix you because I can't fix anyone. I want to be clear on that. I can just point you to the help that you need and walk alongside you from a distance and check up on you to see how you're doing. So I'm a true believer in that because I've had many firefighters reach out to me from departments, big and small, uh, career volunteer everywhere, just saying that, you know, they need a little help. And then I say, well, what, what can we find locally more than just a good uplifting conversation with me? What can we do to find some local help for you? And it's all those different programs you mentioned is where it's truly at too. And their local churches too. I want to throw that out there. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, Jason, I want to thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time just to come on and talk to our listeners. I'm sure people are going to take a lot of value away from this. I would, uh, I'll would ask, where's the best place to get your book? Is it on Amazon or is there? Yeah, you know, I always tell people the cheapest place you can find it, yeah. but it's, it's everywhere. It's Amazon. The um, publisher put together a website called rescuerbook.com. That's just rescuerbook.com. And it lists a bunch of different stores where it's available. So yeah, where, wherever you can grab a copy, go for it. Amazon usually seems to be the best spot for folks to find it.
Amazon's the best spot to find anything these days. That's what I'm hearing, you know. So, but I heard lately it's uh, been sold out, so it's getting harder and harder to get by and stuff, which caught me off guard. Like, wow, that's cool. I guess that's a good problem to have. So, yeah, well, that is a good problem to have. So congratulations on the success of the book and continued success. And um, hopefully, we'll see it on a on a silver screen one day. I appreciate you, my friend, and uh, I look forward to many more conversations. I know this might be the, uh, I think I might be coming on your podcast, but other than that, Mm -hmm. I know we're going to have a lot of non-recorded conversations that I'm really looking forward to. I have a feeling where our paths are going to cross in person too here shortly too. So that'll be some good stuff. So appreciate you, man. And I enjoy your podcast so much and I can't wait to have you on mine, bro. So thanks for all you do. 